For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Borussia Dortmund have won the European Cup Winners' Cup. You can feel the passion, the emotion. And Dortmund against all the odds are European champions. Hey, BBB-Fans, this is Believe in Borussia, episode number 26. My name is Tilo, and thank you for tuning in again. So today, we have for you a conversation with Adam, a diehard BBB fan who built some great infos and stats in English for fans of Borussia Dortmund. And with a little time having passed, and me being my normal calm self, I'm going to talk about that shirt. And to add insult to injury, we'll look back at Borussia Dortmund's worst defeat ever in Bundesliga history against Borussia Mönchengladbach. But before we get cracking, just a quick update from our sponsors. They have a new website, a new interface and even more odds, props and contests from college to pro sports. It's all in one place. So you can just head on over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today. Receive your 100% welcome bonus. That's double your initial deposit just for signing up. Don't forget to use the promo code NFL100. Bet online. The fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports, your online sportsbook experts. So attentive listeners of this beautiful podcast will know that by now we use the episodes every week to talk with a fan club or I should say a fan club representative to spread the word and showcase some of the diverse fan operations that we have in the US. Well, today I'm not necessarily talking with a fan club member but with a big fan nonetheless Adam who is a very big Borussia Dortmund fan and also has the fifth sense for stats and has a ton of interesting insights that he preps on his own time for Borussia Dortmund fans in English which is a great service and if you're on Twitter I'm sure you are familiar with him and some of his offerings so without further ado let's hear about Adam and his work. I'm very happy to have Adam with us today. Adam is a big Dortmund fan. And if you are on, well, Dortmund Twitter in the US, you've probably come across one of his crazy statistics or, for example, his coverage of the women's game, which he seems to be also a big fan. So, Adam, why don't you just tell people that don't know who you are, um, yeah, what you do and how you became a Dortmund fan? Oh gosh, yes. Uh, thanks for having me, Tilo. Uh, so, how I became a Dortmund fan with so many people, it starts with FIFA. But uh, for me, it started with my son. Uh, I was always a big baseball stat guy, like for years and years and decades and decades. And uh, my son uh, kind of switched from 
baseball to an interest in soccer when he was around five or six and started playing FIFA. And then he started playing with this team with these cool yellow uniforms. And I was like, oh, who is that? And I had no idea who Dortmund was at the time. This was like 2014. And then uh, he asked for a jersey. And I was like, well, if we're getting a jersey, I got to research this a little bit. And uh, it was the last Klopp season, which was not a great time to, to really get into Dortmund. Uh, I missed all the good stuff and, <laughs> and just kind of researched the team. And the more that I learned about it that summer, I just kind of was like, wow, I really like this and really want to start following it. So in the 2015-16 season, from that point on, I was 100% Dortmund. And it just has kind of grown from there. That is um, very interesting also for the listeners in context. I'm talking to Adam right now on the Sunday morning. He's wearing a Dortmund hat, a Dortmund shirt, and his wall is tapered with Dortmund jerseys, signed Pischek, uh, whatnot. Um, so that's a pretty steep curve from, hey, son, what you're playing to this um, within a cu only a couple of years. And how I came across you, you, yeah, you apparently now don't just do baseball stats. You also ventured into soccer. So how did that come about? Yeah, by day, I work for a site called Sports Reference. Uh, it's been around for like 21 years. It's baseball reference, basketball reference, pro football, hockey. And a few years ago, um, when I was consulting with them, we launched FBREF, which is the, the world football stats site that we've been working on. And uh, it's been a really exciting project for me because you know, I really used it as a way to learn about the game as well. Uh, we were partnering with StatsBomb uh, then and now with uh, advanced data. So I was using that to take kind of my, my baseball perspective to apply it to learning the game of football. Like, you know, what, what should we be looking for besides goals and assists, like progressive passing and, and shot creating actions and things like that. So that's why I sprinkle a lot of the, the, the weird stats out there is because I'm kind of using them to learn about the game myself still at this point. That's a pretty cool way to, you know, First of all, probably a pretty cool job, generally, if you're into sports. And chances are, if you listen to this podcast, you're into sports. <laughs> um, yeah. And soccer in particular. And, and secondly, well, yeah, it, it's cool, you know, to have this, like, always learning uh, perspective. So what can fans learn that, you know, let, let's see, they go on your Twitter. And what's your Twitter handle? Foosball Twits. Foosball Twits. So they go on Foosball Twits. And there's the links to, you know, the aforementioned sites. So what, what, what can they see there that they don't get, for example, when they just watch a match on TV? Yeah, like I said, FBREF has a lot of the stats bomb data. I also have a, a personal site that I started working on, which kind of came from watching a match two or three years ago. And I was watching Julian Brandt. And I was like, wow, if this was hockey, he would have had three assists by now. But he didn't get any because uh, he had the second assist on all of them. And football, of course, does not have that second assist. So that's kind of become my thing on Twitter, sharing the hockey-style scoring stats for Twitter. Uh, sorry, for Borussia Dortmund, because uh, I went back and watched every single goal back to 2015-16, like right down to the Europa League qualifiers and everything. I even do this in the preseason now. I've been doing it for the women's team too. But uh, yeah, it's hundreds of goals and just kind of tracking like, you know, uh, I think that year Brant had, I don't know, was four or five assists, but he had like more than a dozen second assists. And then I used that to learn about Jaden Sancho, who was kind of the king of the second assist, even though he was our king of goals and assists as well. So, you know, every once in a while, a player will get a goal an assist, and then what we're calling the pre-assist. And I call that the Jaden Sancho hat trick. Uh, on the, the women's team, Virginia Glenzer just uh, did that in the first game as well. So that it's always great to see those Jaden Sancho hat tricks. 
<laughs> Jaden Sancho Hattrick. I really love that. And um, based on that, you know, apparently you spend hours and hours and hours, days literally, must have been accumulated on watching all these goals back. So I think you have a pretty good grasp on it. Who do you think is the most underrated player on the Dortmund teams of the last five years? And who's maybe the most overrated? Oh, gosh. Uh, that's, that's a tough one. I mean, even this season, I would say a player that's underrated is Marco Royce because he's not getting the goals, but he's got, he leads the team in uh, pre-assists or second assists, whatever we're calling it. Uh, he did that um, for a while last year when Sancho was getting off to a slower start. I, I insisted that Sancho, even when he left, he was still underrated just because of the, the creation that he was, he was doing. Um, Axel Witzel gets a good number of the second assists as well. Uh, we're seeing Jude Bellingham starting to, to get some of them as well. He's getting the goals and assists as well now too, which is great. Uh, but it, it really started from Brandt being underrated in that first season. Of course, it didn't carry over into season two and season three has been hit or miss for him so far. But yeah, it really was an, an amazing thing to see Sancho leading the league, uh, leading the team and, and the league at some points in all three of those categories. It was unbelievable. Was there anything when you look back at all these games, um, I'm sure you caught a lot of stuff you didn't see before, um, you know, when you watched them the first time like four or five years ago. And I'm not talking necessarily about uh, stats, but, but, but things that you picked up on, you were like, wow, I really love that about this club. Oh, that I really love about the club. Oh, gosh. I mean, there's just been so many top quality players to come through. Like another one that I could mention from that first year going through it, Ilkay Gundogan. Like he was a guy that obviously didn't get a ton of goals and assists. But when you look at the pre-assist, you see his creation numbers. You see why uh, everyone was all over uh, getting his services and why he's done so well uh, since moving on. Um, Mkhitaryan was another one. He had an absurd number of assists in, in that 2015-16 year. And then we, we know we moved from them to bringing in Dembele, who of course had several himself. There's just this nonstop pipeline of talent. And from a American sports perspective, it started off being hard seeing uh, these players move on. But I think when you're a Dortmund fan, you kind of get used to it. It's maybe a little bit more relevant to college sports in, in the U.S. where you have a guy for like four years, you love him, you absolutely enjoy it, but then they move on to something else, but you can still love and follow them after that. So that's kind of the perspective that I've taken there. So a lot of my favorite teams that I'll follow around Europe are just the ones that have Dortmund alumni. So uh, I've really just, you know, I've, I've tried to get into I never picked a Premier League team. It's just I'm 100% Dortmund and wherever Dortmund players go. Like, that's, that's what I want to follow. Oh, interesting. It's an interesting comparison. To be fair, in college these days, if you're that good, and, you know, with Dortmund, we're talking about the absolute top echelon of youth players. It's not just young mm -hmm. kids. It's like a unique combination of talent and youth that we have. Um, yeah, those kids usually only stay a year or two these days, right? Like, for example, basketball, one and done, uh, Kentucky style. So um, That's your Dembele. <laughs> yeah, and that's, people are still very passionate. To be fair, my point, before Sancho, I think Dembele was the only marquee first squad player that we, you know, ever since 2017 up to Sancho, we didn't lose a single one of them. Yes, we, we you know, we, we sold Aubameyang after that, but personally, was not against that move. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. So Pulisic for a lot of money, which obviously from an American perspective kind of sucked, but you know he wasn't even starting eleven at that point, um, and we already had Sancho blossoming. So anyway, right. so Dembele was really you know in that season he was a difference maker. He basically single handedly kind of like won the cup, um, you know, made the difference in the Bayern semifinal and obviously scored in the final. Um, so that was you know that was tough, but um, yeah, ever since then. I don't really think, statistically speaking, you can't really back that claim up that we're losing players left and right and every year somebody's going to Bayern. That hasn't happened in you know quite a while either. And to be right. fair, I don't think Bayern can actually afford the players anymore that are interesting for Bayern. Like, they don't want Nico Schultz, obviously. No offense to Nico Schultz, but you know Bayern obviously has a strong squad and I don't think that's what they're looking for. They would be looking at the top players of like Haaland I don't think Haaland wants to go to Bayern and I don't think Bayern can pay him. I don't know what, what crazy figure Raiola has in his head in terms of like salaries. So, uh, right. and, and transfer <laughs> fees is also something that Bayern doesn't spend big on. So, yeah, you know, there's lots of uh, changes, but uh, for some reason, it kind of like stuck, you know, with us. And um, so, yeah, so I'm always a little wary about, uh, about framing it that way. Obviously, um, people, you know, move on. But it's always been the case in soccer. And hey, even Barcelona lost Neymar. And Chelsea, who also probably not starving, lost Hazard to Real Madrid. It just happens in soccer. I think our goal has to be to make it less often and have more time in between when it happens. Right. It's, it's a lot like uh, fans that get upset if they can't get a trophy that year. Like if you, if your only happiness following football is a trophy, then like 99% of clubs are going to be very disappointed. And that's just no way to enjoy the game. So, and that's the same thing, even with the transfers, like if you're, there's only a, a handful of clubs that are that final destination that have all the money. And quite frankly, that that's just not the type of club that I want to follow. You know, I want to follow the up and comers, the, the players that are, you know, just about to break out. That's the exciting thing, finding these players and, it's just a much better way to follow the game for me. Absolutely. And let's jump off the million, billion dollar business of the men's side and go to something that is a lot about passion and heart that you are very passionate about. Um, yeah, you've been covering the women's side um, quite uh, yeah, a lot. I, I've, I've seen you post about it a lot, um, highlight the players, uh, post stats about the women's game. Obviously, you're doing your scoring there as well. Um, how come? It's just one of those things like I, I also very much enjoy the women's games. So, you know, I've been following, you know, I've been following like Wolfsburg, for example, because, you know, they they have Alexandra Pop, who is a, a Dortmund uh, fan. And I would love to see Alexandra playing for the Dortmund team at some point, maybe as her career winds down and, and the, the, the Dortmund women's team climbs up the ladder, maybe they can meet at some point. Um, I've enjoyed, you know, watching Arsenal just, you know, certain players that you, you find and you're like, Oh, I like watching this player. Then you learn the teams more, but I didn't have like my team. So having Dortmund have a women's team was very important to me because I wanted to follow a women's team that closely, as closely as I follow Borussia Dortmund. And ever since they announced that, yes, this is happening. I put a, a page up on my, on my site that was like, this is happening. Like all the info will be here when it's available, I promise. So then before they even announced the squad, I was trying to figure out who the squad was because they had like tagged some people in Instagram photos. And I was like, okay, so I know like Louisa Bergman is, is on uh, this team. So who is Louisa Bergman? I'm looking up 
uh, some of the German football sites that I have never used before, just trying to find out, you know, where she has played in the past, who are these players, like, how do the leagues work? And just, it was really exciting to, to learn about the lower tiers of, of German women's football through that. And then when the club announced the squad, I was able to, to put up little uh, bits of information about each player. And it's, it's been just from the very beginning, like interacting with some of the players, interacting with the team, because I've had some questions, like there were some questions around the goalkeeper's last name. Is it Schroer? Is it Koenig? And you know, I wrote to the club about that. I'm like, I want to make sure I'm using the right names uh, to you know, be as respectful as possible to these players. So they would write back and say, oh, you know, Sandra got married, but her past still says Koenig. So that's why there's the difference there. And uh, yeah, it's just things like that. Just being able to discover something new, follow it and be a part of something as it's getting off the ground. It's, it's been a lot of fun. Do you know of any instant where the club actually has used some of the stats and data you provide? I know that they've used some stats from FBREF, but in terms of the ones that I've provided, um, the best I got was uh, when I was asking um, a question about the women's team very early on, uh, the Dortmund admin wrote back and was like, oh, we see your stuff on the timeline, really enjoying it, you know, that type of thing. So just knowing that they see it is, is good enough for me. Uh, but yeah, I have seen some stats that look like they're directly from FBREF, which is great. Uh, I love seeing uh, FBREF grow as well. Well, that's pretty cool. So just to wrap up, maybe you can just, again, say, you know, your Twitter handle um, and where people can find all the information that you're providing. Because if you're in the States and you want to learn a little bit more about Dortmund, men's and women's side, then NMFO has obviously a quite a wealth to offer. Yeah. Uh Like I said, on Twitter, foosball twit, and that's because on the baseball side for years and years, I was baseball twit, so that's where that came from. And uh, the personal site is darowski.com, so that's D-A-R-O-W-S-K-I.com slash bivabe. And that's where you find all your gathered materials for the women and the third hockey assist, uh, Jaden Sancho hat-trick page. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> and of course, FB Ref will, uh, will get you all the 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 additional metrics that you want for not only Dortmund, but every team in the top five leagues and Europa League and Champions League and all sorts of cool stats there. So if you ever really want to nerd out and I don't know, you have half an hour to kill before a game, give it a look. I'm sure you'll find a lot of interesting things and, you know, give him a follow and connect with him because he's obviously also a super nice guy that is very committed to the team. And, you know, I thank you for your time, man. Thank you very much, Tilo. Have a good one. Before we look forward, I guess I just want to look backwards a little because it was another crazy game. I guess that's the norm right about now with Borussia Dortmund, the moniker of most entertaining and most exciting team in the world is back at Borussia Dortmund. And nothing symbolizes this better than the screamer that Rafa Guerrero scored. What a goal. And he himself had this to say about it. It was a... Uh A crazy goal. I think it's the yeah the most beautiful goal in my life, and uh, yeah, of course I will take him for sure. And uh, yeah, I think you can score a goal like that just one time in your life, and uh, it was the day yesterday. But what I really like it's not just the team continuing its winning ways in spectacular fashion, but that the players are very critical despite winning. For example, Hummels was very straight after the victory in his post-match interview. Same with Marco Reus. We can't go on like this. Yada, yada, yada. I like 
the sound of this because I remember that very differently too. For example, when we weren't winning games under Klopp and the club steered into crisis or even when a good performance was followed by a lukewarm performance, a lot of the post-game interviews from, for example, Mats Hummels and Marco Reus sounded more like, uh, what are you talking about? It's not a mentality issue. We're working hard. What do you want from us? Yada, yada, yada. It wasn't really a lot of reflection. Or they were saying, look, so what? We're conceding goals or it's not a great game. We're winning. That's what matters. They just seem to be annoyed and not very honest to themselves. So I like that newfound honesty, that humbleness, that hunger. Seeing Haaland and Hoot arguing after the game about a missed pass. Those are the little things that really stand out right now that make me hopeful that we won't fall back into this complacency that has befallen Borussia Dortmund's play for years over Klopp, Tuchel, Favre, Terzic. Maybe the rebuild and the new coach are now at a stage where we can break that mold. And talking about breaking bad habits, on my little Meunier watch, I count three assists in the last three games. And he even had another beautiful cross versus Leverkusen, which the VAR took the goal back. Still, in four games played, he has now surpassed his assist total of last year, where I think he played in 33 games. Goes without saying, we've seen a much improved Meunier, and there is the hope, the hope that we were talking about just after the break, and again, I think in the beginning of the year, um, or in the beginning of the season, I should say, because... He seems to be a genuinely good guy and he seems to really have struggled without the fans and thrive with fans in the stadium, alas, even with only 25,000. So I have to say that uh, um, I, I missed um, really, really much the, the fact of being in this football temple, you know, being in this vibe, this atmosphere, uh, what's, what makes you love football. And, uh, and even with 25,000, it's just wonderful. I have to say, in Belgium, 25,000 is a full stadium. So it's, it's, just, it's just what I liked and I, I really missed this. And I'm yeah, quite happy. Okay, so Champions League has gone by. We've all calmed down a little. But I think we have to talk about the the neon yellow elephant in the room that is that shirt, that Borussia Dortmund Cup shirt, which for the longest time I actually thought they did pull. Um, the club's ambiguous communication there led me to believe that they actually forfeited the choice of jersey. Well, how naive of me, because obviously there's contracts and whatnot that need to be fulfilled, but... I guess what I don't want to do is just reel off a rant, even though that would be very easy, but look a little bit at the pro and cons because the overwhelming feedback that you can see online is obviously very negative. Very, very rarely do I see a sprinkle of like, you know what, I don't think it's too bad, but there's very strong reactions on the other side. But I do want to try to approach this in a more balanced way because there are some levels to it. There's a couple of things that aren't so apparent that I want to shed some light on and try to explain why this became such a shitstorm. Well, first off, I haven't seen the shirt in the flesh. And from past experience, it's always very different. Borussia Dortmund must have some of the worst product photography in the business. 
They make every kid look like a pyjama or a t-shirt. That being said, let's get into the pros and cons, or I should say the different side. And I want to start with the Puma side. They clearly wanted to try something new. And while that alone is reason for criticism with some of our fans, I think that's totally fine and even commendable trying to break out of the used. Look, I'm sure people complained plenty when the original neon yellow jerseys popped on the scene in the 90s. There were some rather odd designs as well, especially in the beginning before I think it really hit their peak around 95 and 96. But it's also because those were the successful seasons and once you see your team play well in these shirts, especially when they stand out and they look nothing like they've ever worn, well, success manifests itself in that new design. And guess what? All of a sudden, these shirts were super popular. And a lot of the people that complained in the beginning probably bought them and rocked them. The difference is we don't have a log of that because there was no Twitter or Facebook where people could just spoo all their stuff and it would live on forever and ever. So they could just very clandestinely, you know, change their opinion, jump aboard the neon yellow hype train and get going. You also have to understand that complaining is in a way part of German culture. There's a strong cultural force for conformity which is often mistaken for tradition. And it makes skewing of the mark double problematic. Until you get the majority convinced and the social forces will do a U-turn, case in point, those legendary 90s jerseys like some of the Arsenal kits, for example, they were infamous, or the infamous Bochum Rainbow kits that all the soccer purists today and the hipsters love, despite being of questionable design and being a marketing play from the lottery, which hijacked literally half of that Bochum jersey for their own branding, which had nothing to do with the club. Yet, you can be sure that it turns up in any sort of like top 10 ranking of most famous shirts or whatever, and the purists and whatnot will probably be like, oh yeah, those legendary Bochum jerseys. Well, that just goes to say that I think a lot of the backlash against many things isn't necessarily rooted in logic. And it's really not about the issue, but more of a proxy debate, stemming from the urge to call out something different and maintain the status quo as part of your own identity. There's a reason why Germany is highly innovative around certain industrial items and niche industries, say, I don't know, manufacturing snow globes, but it's severely lacking any visible, culturally impacting innovation on a large public scale, like unicorns or tech companies or that such that inspire not only the industry but the whole mainstream you know like apple or facebook move fast and break things is not the german way in other words the questionable design choices are amplified through sociocultural dynamics in the home market and we don't have to discuss that twitter and social media are places where negativity and trolling thrive even more than positive vibes from what i can tell the shirt itself from the back looks okay. The white trim around the black numbers goes really well with that black and white Champions League logo. The fine black stripes add a bit of detail. The BVB crest in the central, the Puma on the sleeve. That's not bad. And some of the training kits, even though I can do without that BVB 09 and more on that in a moment, well, those training kits look actually pretty decent. 
Finally, the city is below the name again, which I am not a fan of. I know we had it this way also, I think, in the 90s. But I think the city and the club, for that matter, should be above the player's name. But that's just my personal touch. And I'd be more than happy to look past that if it wasn't for, well, the front. There were changes made from the original designs, but what happened was is what we call in German verschlimmbessern, to worse improven, which means you try to improve something, but by doing so, you actually make it much worse. So they worse improved the font and the writing between the lines. And I just don't understand what happened there. Just because it's supposed to be a throwback to, well, congratulations, the dark second Bundesliga days. Yay, let's really commemorate those. That doesn't make it an iconic design. In fact, those shirts with the BVB09 and the DO and the tower and all that, they were a symbol of gratefulness of the club to the city, to Hirsch and everyone else you know, that stepped up to the plate and served the team from financial ruin in the second division. But that doesn't mean the fashion design was great. The fashion design of the 1970s in Germany certainly wasn't a strong suit. I don't think it's really that strong now. So why in the world would you think that as a remedy for somehow? And even worse, to, I guess, make it consistent now, this is all over the collection. Uh. So how could this have happened? My best guess? We became a victim of our own clear brand identity. While the people at Puma were probably thinking, oh, geez, what are we going to do with this and this club? They're blue or they're both black or whatever. We need to find little details to distinguish them, the black kids from the other one and so on and so forth. Well, they knew in the back of their head that Borussia Dortmund, that yellow would just pop out, no matter what they would do. So they probably toyed around with all the others and thinking, you know, we can't really F this BBB shirt up because as long as it's yellow or neon yellow... It will stand out, you will be able to immediately identify it as a Borussia Dortmund kit, and there will be no quarrel. Well, by the time things got real, and it dawned on a few folks with the prototypes that this might not be a winner, things were likely too far ahead down the production process to make any major changes. So, again, they were improvement. So the shirts, which weren't very sophisticated in the first place, then got worse improved, verschlimmbessert. Instead of having these bulky three letters and the numbers there, you could have gone with Borussia. And why don't we get Borussia? I mean, honestly, who the f is Gladbach in, in the marketing scope of things? And it's just another sign that this obviously was done by non-German local people who are not familiar with the club and think that fans of Borussia Dortmund call the club Dortmund and not Borussia. But if you've ever set a foot Within a 200-mile radius of the Westfalen Stadium and you say Dortmund, people will not know what you're talking about or they will kind of not react straight up. But if you say Borussia, everybody knows it's Borussia Dortmund. And by the way, on the rumor mill, whoever was responsible for this design apparently is not working for Puma anymore. But I have that on semi-solid background. Anyway, so then the club's intervention follows and this, in my opinion, ugly BBB09 gets thrown on it as a, I don't know, last grasp for hope by trying some weird throwback design retro that just doesn't really work. To me, it looks like a zip code or something like that. 
Certainly not our club's beloved name or logo. I think in order to salvage that whole front situation, you would have also had to change the Puma logo position. And that that's not an option, it really stinks. Because Puma isn't just a supplier. They're a shareholder and a strategic partner. And to leverage your brand about Borussia Dortmund, that kind of sucks, Puma. No bueno. They could have done something like with the national team shirts, where you have the Puma logo plus the crest very centrally divided by a fine black line. And then they could have put the whole team name in between the lines. It would have looked much better, I think. I mean, it would have still been plenty controversial, but definitely better than this. And that imprinted crest is so out of place in that design and hardly visible through media. I'm not even sure if you can call that even a fig leaf. I mean, talk about a bad compromise. So at the end, Puma tries to do something new and daring and they want to do it across different clubs. Okay, that can work or that cannot work, but I understand why you're trying. Like, I get that. And, you know, in theory, that has a nice ring to it. If you have skilled people that can maintain the individualness of the club, but giving it a different framework, why not? But then you seem to just let it slide because you think you can't really do anything wrong with neon yellow and black because it's so clear and it stands out so much anyway. You give it sort of like the first pass at best, then everybody panics and then they worse improve in it. And then we end up with this. And then lastly, again, the imagery. Why is it always so bad? And it's always been so bad. I think part of the uproar is also based because the fabric always looks so unbelievably cheap. Like these shirts are made of plastic bags or something. So it's not just a questionable design, but it also looks like crap materials. And then you get, you know, crap reactions. Duh. While other suppliers make very sophisticated product presentations and they work out the details, the seams, the logos, the color, playing with the light and so on and so forth, the Borussia Dortmund things are always shot like mock-ups straight from Adobe. I always have to see a shirt in person to determine if it's actually worth a buy. The best example is the 2015-2016 third kit. It's a beautiful shirt. It's one of my absolute favorites. It has those beautiful subtle diamonds worked into the thread. Um, like woven into the fabric with a very minimalistic black touches here and there and a color that is also very simplistic. And it was so minimalistic that you cannot catch it on the product photos. It looks like a pajama or at best a t-shirt where they colored the color black. Awful. I mean, if I'd have to say anything in a department, that's something I would tackle. That product presentation does a lot of the good shirts, not justice. So in conclusion, a gutsy idea from Puma backfired. When it was caught, it was way too late and then things got worse and then it was amplified by some very shoddy graphics that made the shirt look even worse than it actually is, which is possible. Puma, Borussia, I think we can do better here. I really do. So, if you are a more recent follower of Borussia Dortmund and chances are that, well, you are listening to this podcast, you may think wins against Borussia Mönchengladbach come automatic. With 14 victories in the last 15 games, Borussia Dortmund is somewhat the boogie team of the foals. 
It's likely fate because they keep messing with our name. Granted, they started using it a little earlier, but whatever, who's counting? Or it's simply revenge. Because there was a time, a very dark time, when the black and yellow Borussia was in shambles and the other Borussia was at their club's historic peak. And when these two trajectories squared off in 1978, it resulted in the worst defeat in the history of Borussia Dortmund, possibly the worst game in the club's long and storied history. So to appreciate our current streak a little more and also scare away all the glory hunters, we'll unearth the darkest, saddest chapter in Borussia Dortmund's history. Well, at least on the pitch right now. So let me set the scene here. On the one hand, we have Borussia Dortmund, the former glory team of the 50s and 60s that had crashed into the second division in 1972. Four years they spent in the second flight, flirting with financial collapse, eventually revived by the new ground, the Westfalen Stadium. On the other hand, we have Gladbach, former nobodies who had only joined the Bundesliga in 1965. They weren't a founding member, just like Bayern Munich, and then went on to dominate German soccer in the 70s. By 1978, they had already won five German championships, added a second cup, one UEFA Cup. They were just coming off the Champions League final, well, the European Cup final in that day. And they were looking to go for the fourth straight German league title, which was a novum in the young Bundesliga. Borussia Dortmund had shown signs of life under new coach Otto Rehagel, who had led Borussia back into the first division and had them finished a respectable eighth place in the first year back in 1977. And he also helped Borussia Dortmund in the league midfield in 78. So on final match day of that 1978 season, Borussia Dortmund would travel to face Gladbach. Alas, they would travel to Düsseldorf as Gladbach's home ground was getting renovated. Borussia Dortmund was already safe from relegation, but they also had no higher ambitions. Well, unlike Mönchengladbach, who came into the final match tied on points, with their arch-rival from across the Rhine, Cologne. Alas, Gladbach had to make up a goal difference of 10 goals, that is a score of minimum 11 goals to overtake Cologne if Cologne would win their last game against Loli San Pauli, by one goal that is. So one team came to just kill 90 minutes and the other team came to play. Not even 30 seconds in, Jupp Heynckes scored the opener for the Foles. Why were Gladbach called the Foles? Because their now mature stars such as Heinkes and Netzer had started at a very young age with the club and coach Weisweiler, restricted by the perpetually tight budget, opted not to buy players but let young players come in and roam freely like a young herd of Foles, wild Mustangs. By 1978 there was more folklore than Foles, but Gladbach couldn't care less. They wanted to back title number six and the fourth in a row. So with 30 minutes to go, they had already made it 3-0. At half, it was 6-0. Cologne was leading 1-0 over St. Pauli, so Mönchengladbach needed five more goals, and the way the game was going, it was more than likely that they would get them. And Borussia Dortmund? Well, it just seemed that the team refused to show up. They were half-heartedly tracking runs, 
giving away the ball. The best strategy of defense was apparently hoping that Gladbach would let up. Only that they wouldn't. And Mönchengladbach continue to score as Borussia Dortmund continue to offer spaces large enough to land a jumbo freaking jet. If you wouldn't know better and you watch this game, you would think a bunch of dads fake competed with their kids, secretly inviting them to score on them. It looked that bad. It was 9-0 after 66 minutes and Gladbach showed no mercy. Attack after attack kept rolling down the field. They were still believing they could make the impossible happen and overcome a 10-goal difference on the final match day. It was that kind of belief you get when you win three championships in a row and you're one of the best teams in the world. When they scored the 10th goal, it seemed that the Borussia Dortmund team had actually left the pitch. There was a lone black and yellow defender who found himself surrounded by four white shirts on a set piece, mind you. That was a dead ball. Enough time to gather yourself, but on a set piece, in the box, one Dortmund defender, four attackers. The rest of the team didn't even bother to move back anymore. So number 11 and 12 were only consequential. Alas, Cologne, feeling Gladbach's breath down their neck, had shifted up a gear or two and put another four pass on Pauli to win 5-0. And it was probably for the better, because if that listless showing would have resulted in Gladbach winning the league, more than a few voices would have screamed point-shaving job. Remember, the Bundesliga bribery scandal was only a few years ago, and it wasn't that polished literary media product that modern soccer is today. So that seemed very much within the realm of possibilities. The German FA even sent a couple of attorneys to start investigating the dirty dozen that Gladbach put past Dortmund, as Cologne, despite winning the league, were furious with BBB's lack of resistance. Borussia Dortmund coach Rehagel actually claimed that he told his players that it would be an eternal shame if they would give Gladbach the title at the expense of Cologne in such a fashion at halftime. Well, I think it's safe to say his team didn't quite listen and to no surprise it was his last game as Borussia Dortmund head coach. The Yellow Press rephrased his name from Rehagel to Torhagel which translates loosely to hailing goals. Dortmund goalkeeper Endolat also never made another Bundesliga games and all the players involved were fined by the club. Tested veterans like Lothar Huber still don't have an explanation to this day. He just said after the first goals went in, no one wanted to be near the ball anymore. He was playing as a sweeper or libero and he said he touched the ball maybe three times the whole game. That's kind of hard to believe, especially when you have to pick the ball out of the goal net 12 times. Well, thank you for listening to Believe in Borussia presented by Online. I appreciate you tuning in. I hope to hear you next week again. And until then, a black and yellow shout out across America. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.